the WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA. G'day, Jessica Hayes in the chair today. I'll be with you for the next hour after rain pours play during day three at the third test between Australia and South Africa at the SCG. I hope you're enjoying your Friday. It's so good to have your company this afternoon. Soon you're headed to the Gascoigne where mango picking is ramping up. This season's running a little bit later than usual in the region. Yeah, look, the weather was really cool through through the winter period. So obviously uh, it dragged the season back a little bit later. It was the same for a lot of product lines. It wasn't just mangoes. So they pushed it back three to four weeks. More from Barry Doran at the Canningvale Markets very soon. And it's that time of year when Sam Kekovich steps up as the face of Australian lamb. And this year's Share the Lamb ad from Meat and Livestock Australia is an absolute cracker. What are you here for? Tried to eat a meat pie with these. Don't know the words to K-San. Charged him a dollar for tomato sauce. (coughs) What is this? Where am I? (coughs) Man, how's that un-Australian? All I said was, bon appetit! No doubt that will ruffle a few feathers as it does every year if you've seen this year's lamb ad. What do you reckon? How do you think it compares to other years? You can let me know on the text 0448922604. Kicking off the program today, though, an update on the Kimberley's unfolding emergency, uh, flood emergency, which is now considered WA's worst ever flooding event. While the weather has eased in the Fitzroy area, there are some parts of the river still rising downstream. The West Kimberley has copped the brunt of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie in the past 24 hours and major freight routes have now been cut off. Now, in response to this crisis, arrangements have been made to ensure supplies can get through to the state's north. Temporary access will be given to Class 3 vehicles to ensure the delivery of essential goods can reach the northwest and the Northern Territory via South Australia. Michael Boober from Main Road says the arrangements will come into effect immediately. At the moment, there's no access into Fitzroy Crossing for basically anyone really. So the road's been closed and Broome uh, as well. So those both those towns are sort of cut off at the moment. So what we're trying to do with the Kimberley with the flooding at the moment is get as many goods and services in that would normally be travelling up the Great Northern Highway to those locations, trying to give them an alternate route through, obviously, through South Australia, up through the Northern Territory, and it's put pretty much a long way around, but allowing them to go on road networks that they wouldn't necessarily be allowed to do normally. Right. Okay. So who was involved in this decision and, and how did you come to that? We've been involved talking to um, industry bodies like Western Roads Federation, South Australian Government, and the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, and the Northern Territory Government, obviously, to work at the best way to provide assistance to those communities up north. And the best way to do it that we thought would work would be by providing them a permit to provide longer vehicles that can carry more goods and services to travel basically the long way around to get there because there's no other way for them to get there by road or rail. So, Why are there limits on the sort of size of trucks that can travel on those roads? Generally, those, those roads aren't designed for the vehicles that we're letting them go on, but due to the, the lower volumes of traffic in this in this sort of emergency sort of situation, we can allow them to go down there. But generally, um, we don't allow them to go down there because if there was large numbers of these sort of 53 metre long vehicles, um, you can imagine the sort of safety issues that we might encounter if we had large volumes of these vehicles travelling down there in great numbers. Has this ever been done before? Uh, yes, it has. So during the flood event, I think it was last year, we had the rail lines that were cut 
from the east. So to bring stuff across the air highway from the eastern states into WA to keep the supermarkets stocked, we allowed this to happen as well uh, during that time. Normally, we don't allow them, like I said, down the air highway up into Kalgoorlie, but in exceptional circumstances such as this, obviously, we need to keep those goods and services flowing. For sure. And have you had much feedback or requests for this sort of change to, to make this possible? Uh, yeah, we have. So um, pretty much since Tuesday when sort of the water started rising and then the bridges were sort of cut off, we had approaches from industry. So, and we were aware of that anyway, but we sort of worked on getting the permit product sort of up and running. It just meant we had to talk to South Australia and Northern Territory as well, just to make sure that, because we can get it to the border, but to get it the whole way around, we needed to just discuss with those states and, and get their approval to run through their states up into the north of the Kimberley. So... How long do you expect this arrangement to be in place for? I understand the Fitzroy Bridge has copped a fair bit of damage. Is this something that will be able to happen for a while? Yeah, so we've got the, the permits running through to the end of February, so the 28th of February is when they're running through. So we'll obviously keep assessing that along the way to make sure that if we need to extend it, we can extend it to whenever the bridge is back or there's, a, there's an alternate route to get into Fitzroy and up into the Kimberley. Right. How much additional distance is that that way around to sort of the north of WA instead of going through Broome Fitzroy Way? I think it was told to me this morning it's about two and a half thousand kilometres. So it's almost double the distance pretty much if you go straight up Great Northern Highway as opposed to going. So they'll have to go through Port Augusta um, from WA and then up from Port Augusta up to the Northern Territory and then across back into the Kimberley on the Victoria Highway. So. Wow. It's, 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 quite, it's, it's, it's quite a long way around. Is there anything else that truckies or, or other people should know about these changed arrangements? Other than obviously they need to, they can only use the arrangements to travel from WA through up to the Northern Territory in the Kimberley. They can't use it to sort of travel to into South Australia and stop there or Victoria or New South Wales. It's only available for obviously the flood assistance and obviously just for the general public as well, just be aware that these vehicles will be on the, on the road network from basically Coolgardie to the border at South Australia and if they are going across, just make sure that these are slightly longer than the normal 36 metre vehicles that will be travelling down. So you've got an extra nearly 20 metres of length if you can overtaking or interacting with the, the longer vehicles. Main Roads WA's Director of Heavy Vehicle Services, Michael Boober, speaking about those exemptions in place until at least the end of February. Uh, they'll allow Class 3 vehicles to travel into northern WA via South Australia and the Northern Territory. And those temporary arrangements are all about getting supplies into the Kimberley, which is now even more isolated with severe damage to the Great Northern Highway and now access between Broome and Port Hedland cut off. And triple road trains have already started making their way through South Australia and the Territory bound for the East Kimberley. Operators are facing more than a 10,000 kilometre round trip to get those supplies into the region. Spencer Dewar from Centurion Transport says the first trucks should arrive into Kununurra this afternoon. Yeah, so we, we dispatched the first double road train on Tuesday night, another one on Wednesday night, and then we were fortunate enough to work with the government agencies and jurisdictions along with main roads to get access to do the triple road train. So our first triple left Coolgardie early hours this morning and is currently out along the Nullarbor on the way to South Australia to then go via Northern Territory and then back down to Kununurra. So we'll be up there this afternoon with the first double road train service and then over the weekend with the triple road trains that we've now got underway. How much further is that for your trucks to get around from their usual route to the Kimberley? Okay, so 
normally we'll, we'll get there in about 42 hours. So there's a bit of a, a ballpark. So that's just a six and a half thousand kilometre round trip. The way that we're going, we're 10,600 kilometres. So it's a three day trek for the, the two up teams to, to get there unload and then uh, another three days back, back home again and on top of that we with the triple road trains we've got our dog runs where we get the third trailer out to Coolgardie so that's a 550 kilometre leg for the drivers to get to that point as well. Wow so a huge increase in uh, in the distance and the time as well that's got to be expensive. It, it c- c- certainly is yeah there's sig- significant cost increases and, and a lot of extra time that the equipment's on the on the road for the refrigeration equipment, which is what all the perishable products are transported in as well. Any idea just how much more it's going to cost to be able to, to get supplies into the Kimberley? We're probably looking at slightly more, more than double the, the normal cost. The, the kilometres are, are almost double. As I said, that dog run cost to Coolgardie versus just to Woburn um, is an extra 290 kilometres each way. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of extra work involved for, for everything on the road. Does that come out of your bottom line or does that get passed on to the people on the other end? I mean, who foots that bill? Yeah, well, un- unfortunately that, that's passed on. And then I suppose it's the, the customers then to work with government agencies and, and see what can be possibly recovered in through, through that angle. And what kinds of things are you trying to get up to the Kimberley at the moment? So we, we, we're supplying... All, all the communities in, in that area, it's a, it's a lifeline of the Kimberley. It's everyone's food from Fitzroy to Halls Creek to, to Kununurra and everywhere in, in between. Fitzroy's completely cut off. We, we've got food being flown out of Broome the, this morning. We've got a couple of ro- a road train going to the airport to, to get loaded up. And then on our road services is, is what we're putting into um, Halls Creek and Kununurra is, is where we're heading to with the trucks that are on the road at the moment. I saw talk on uh, media outlets of a barge potentially going from Port Hedland into the Kimberley. Is that on the cards at all? It, it is. We've put some initial th- things in place there and that, that's based on whether it, it closes through Roebuck Plains. There's an extensive amount of water through there now and likely to increase over the next next few days as well. So we've just put that on, on standby as, as, as a possible if, if that's where we need to, what we need to do. And if that does happen, would that be going into Broome or would that be going further into the, the central and east Kimberley? Um, in, into Broome and potentially into, into Derby are the, are the two options there that um, we, we would be working with. Yeah, so we come, come, come out of out of Caratha is, is, is where, it, where it was done from last time and we, that's what we would look to do again. We've seen a lot of photo and video coming from Fitzroy of the amount of water and it's starting to recede. The damage looks pretty significant. Is there any understanding within the industry just how long this kind of damage could take to fix and how long the road network could be impacted? Yeah, so there's a bit of talk that that, that bridge through Fitzroy Crossing um, could be out of action for up, up to a year. I'm not, not sure of the, the detail behind that, but it looks like significant damage that, that's occurred there. So, yeah, going through the town of Fitzroy to reach the East Pilbara at this point in time is is not an option for us, even when the water does recede. And potentially there will be detours and, and ways to get around it. But is that particularly difficult for, you know, not just a, a light vehicle, but a, a quad or a, a triple or, a you know, a, a double that you're trying to send through? I mean, could it really be months and, and potentially a year that you're unable to get across the Kimberley in that on Great Northern Highway? Unfortunately, the, the only access is, is through that one, 
one road through Fitzroy unless the, the old bridge was reinstated or there was a temporary access put in place. But as it is, there is, there is only one way, which is the bridge that's been affected. So potentially you could still be sending trucks to the Kimberley via South Australia and the Northern Territory for months to come? That, that's potentially where we're at, yes. We're only really at the start of the wet season, just at the start of January. Often the north of WA continues to see systems come through, you know, into uh, February, even March. Is that a concern for you? It, it, it is, yep, most most certainly. As you said, we're, we're only just into the wet season. We've had one cyclone which has had a significant amount of rain. It's just sat there and hasn't moved and drenched the communities for, for days and days. And yet the end result is this already. So unfortunately, the, the worst might be yet to come. Spencer Dewar is the General Manager of Transport Operations with Centurion. He was speaking with Michelle Stanley. If you're out in the truck today, how are your contingency plans going? Are you one of those truckies about to set out on the 10,000 kilometre round trip to the north or you're already on your way? You can let me know on the text 0448922604. And still in the Kimberley, evacuations have continued from communities and pastoral stations and some livestock hasn't been able to be saved. Emergency Services Minister Stephen Dawson has told media that funding will be available to those who have lost cattle. There are many people who've lost either livelihoods or livestock over the past few days and that is tragic and to see pictures of animals being hurt uh, is not something that I like and so you know it's deeply distressing for many people. Uh, we have been working with the Kimberley uh, Pilbara Cattlemen's Association, uh, listening to them who have been uh, liaising with their members on the various stations and we'll work with them over the um, I guess the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Minister Jackie Jarvis, the State Minister for Agriculture, has also been assisting us with our work and so she will have that main uh, interaction uh, with those pastoralists but certainly it is, it is very distressing uh, and it's challenging for people to see what is going on and we will work with them. Uh, there are some funding packages that will be uh, released over days to come between the, the state and the Commonwealth and some of those will provide some assistance to those people who have lost uh, stock or other things during the flooding. Emergency Services Minister Stephen Dawson talking about possible assistance for pastoralists amid that flooding crisis in the Kimberley. And after the weather today, you'll hear from one pastoralist in the Pilbara who'd really like to see some of that rain arrive further south. And you'll also find out how pastoralists in the West Kimberley are faring. More on that soon, though. It is 19 past 12 on the Country Hour. On ABC Radio WA, this is the WA Country Hour. To the Gascoigne now, where mango picking is ramping up in the region, with the number of trays hitting the Perth markets finally starting to pick up. The Australian Mango Industry Association expects about 85,000 trays will come out of Carnarvon this season. That's about 30% less than last year. Barry Doran works at Fresh Express Produce at the Canningvale Markets in Perth, and he says it's been a late start to the season. It's been very light. There was you know, minimal quantities come through before Christmas. And a little bit of fruit came through the system through Christmas and New Year, but that fruit was green, so we really haven't seen a lot of ripe fruit in the marketplace up until probably yesterday and today, and the numbers are definitely well down on, on previous years. And those numbers, have they been down across the board uh, in, from the growing regions, and why has that been that case this year? Yeah, not so much out of Northern Territory. Their numbers are always pretty high, but demand and the sales and quality have been a big issue on the east coast so that's why there's been more fruit coming out of darwin into wa but it's been a 
big disaster on the east coast and so much here in Perth with Darwin fruit this year. So there's been a real challenge trying to sell good quality fruit. So the demand has always been good for good quality fruit, but we just haven't been able to get it out of Darwin. So yeah, numbers have certainly been up there, but only due to the fact that the quality wasn't good enough to go over east in a nutshell. Back in WA, why have why has everyone been so late and what kind of impacts does that have at the markets and logistically to have fruit yeah. coming on a bit later? Yeah, look, the weather was really cool through through the winter period. So obviously uh, it dragged the season back a little bit later. It was the same for a lot of product lines. It wasn't just mangoes. So they pushed it back three to four weeks. By now, we'd certainly be into a, into full swing with Carnarvon mangoes, but the numbers have been really down. And I think that's going to continue through Jinjin as well here in WA. So I think you find the whole season has been pushed back three to four weeks across the board. And what's been happening with prices for mangoes this season? Are growers able to get a good price? Look, start from Cunanara on the way down, the prices have been probably below average due to the fact of they were competing against Darwin fruit. And even now out of Carnarvon, we've got challenges with the Queensland Calypsos and Honey Golds coming into the marketplace. And all it comes down is basic quality and uh, presentation of product coming from Carnarvon. So good fruit's getting good money, but then there's also a lot of fruit that's not stickered and not pre-cooled, basically chucked in a tray and sent down. So that can determine the price big time. And what's that kind of variety in, in, in tray prices that you're seeing? The KPs and R2E2s, it really comes down to the fact that the price range at the moment is anywhere from sort of $15 up to $30, $35. It all comes down to the best quality, stickered fruit presentation so and how it ripens up. So there's a big difference from the bottom end to the top end. But, yeah, that's unfortunately, that's the way it's been for a few years now. And what's consumer demand been like this summer for mangoes? Look, I think everyone knows that after Christmas, everything, it doesn't matter if there's cherries, rock melons, watermelon, anything sort of quiets down between Christmas and New Year. Um, everyone's away on holidays. They've already had, obviously, a big Christmas. Uh, the next week or so is going to start slowly picking up. So we'd like to think the demand on, on mangoes, especially you know, from this weekend onwards, should improve. Fresh Express Produce Sales Manager Barry Doran oh, with uh, Peter de Cruyff. Now, it is 23 past 12 on the country, Aaron. Sticking with mangoes, like almost everyone, mango producers across the country are struggling to find workers to get the season's crop off. But one mango farmer in central Queensland thinks he might have the solution. He's training up young people on his farm and it's making a big difference. Megan Hughes has the story. When you think of first jobs, slinging burgers probably comes to mind. But for 15-year-old Bella Marni, it's packing mangoes. I started about a week ago and so we just sort the mangoes and then pack them away so they get sent off to places. Why did you want to work in a, on a mango farm? Um, it just sounded like a good job, you know, um, get out a bit, yeah. And where did you hear about this job? Um, Mum found it on Facebook. Do any of your mates work on farms? No. You've only been here for a week, but what's the experience been like so far? It's, it's been pretty good. So fun, yeah. What's your favourite part about the job? I like the people here. They're really nice. While this year's harvest in central Queensland was a few weeks late due to unseasonal conditions, the packing shed has been busy and work starts early, as Miss Marnie explains. So I come at like 5.30 kind of and yeah, we just start wherever, um, start packing them and the things and sort them and like their quality in that. So when you're looking at sorting quality, what sort of things do you look for? 
the size and the marks on them and that. Yeah, there's like sizes and which ones would be good to pack in like a premium box and that. Ms Marnie works on Tim Keogh's farm west of Rockhampton. He has around 5,000 mango trees and needs around 25 workers on the farm picking and packing at this time of year. But Mr Keogh says it's been difficult finding staff. Getting enough workers has been an issue this year, probably the biggest issue we've ever had. We didn't have a crop last year because of the hailstorm, so we sort of missed the season. So a lot of those younger people that keep coming back to us every year, we sort of lost them for a year and you're not sort of training that staff up each stuff to surround a bit, you know. So that's been one, one factor and always getting staff around this time of the year is difficult, so it's been challenging. And you, by the looks of it, primarily use locals. Do you use backpackers or Pacific Islander No, labor? we don't. We try and use the, the local staff as much as we can. You know, we, we want the locals to support us, so we try and support them as much as we can. So, But, yeah, as I say, we do struggle. And you did a big call-out on Facebook recently. How did that go? Yeah, no, um, it, was, it was good. We sort of wanted to get the really interested people out to come and have a look at least and make the effort to come and see us so that way you know they're a bit interested yeah it worked pretty well we, we got a lot of people out of the woodwork and um, some have had a go and and some we never heard from again well campton local jemuel larkup found his mango picking job on mr keogh's farm through social media and he's back for a second season a big farm is in a lot of fruits and then yeah it's a pretty good farm here yeah what do you think about the job here oh it's pretty good it's pretty good, not too hard because, yeah, just um, rotating those jobs and everything, so familiar those areas and, yeah, not too hard, by the way, yeah. yeah. Have you ever picked fruit before? Um, no. It is my second time here. I haven't uh, picked those, some kind of fruits, but mangoes is good, yeah, for me. Each year, a lot of the interest in the work on Mr Keogh's farm comes from the younger generation. Probably the greatest part of it is to see those young people start. Some people, you know, maturity age at different times, but starting them young and then they come back a year later and they're a year older and, of course, as their age goes up, their money goes up, they get a lot out of it and we get a lot about it. Some of the girls and guys that come back, they just walk back into the shed like they never left, so you don't have to retrain them and then generally better than they were the year before because of that extra year. So if we can get three to four years out of this younger generation that keep coming back yeah it's great and some of them have been like some families we've had the whole family right through four kids have come right through us and just keep coming back each year and it's it's fantastic miss marnie is already planning on returning for another year are you going to keep working on for the whole season yeah probably till it ends and then next year i'm going to come back yeah what makes you want to come back next year um, yeah, it's a good place to work, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I like mangoes. Do you reckon you're going to get sick of them, though? <laughs> Probably. Mango packer Bella Marnie ending that report from Megan Hughes. So training up young people to source labour on farms in central Queensland. I wonder how you're going attracting workers um, I guess the backpackers starting to come back, but still plenty of challenges. You can let me know on the text this afternoon, zero double four eight. 922604. 28 past 12, you're tuned into the Country Hour. I'm Jessica Hayes. Fantastic to have you along this afternoon. Uh, it's time to head to the Bureau now. Angeline Prasad is today's duty forecaster. Angeline, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jess. Hey, let's um, kick things off in the Kimberley. What's the latest on ex tropical cyclone Ellie? 
it's moved well inland. Um, so it's about 550 kilometers to the southeast of Broome, Broome now. So trotting uh, at a steady pace uh, inland. So it is expected to enter the north interior this afternoon um, and continue to move uh, in a southeasterly direction. So expected to exit the state on Saturday morning. And with that, we'll see the rainfall impacts um, ease and contract into the Northern Territory. Um, so over the next um, 12 to 18 hours, we're still going to see those heavy falls especially sort of through that southern flank of the of the ex-tropical cyclone. Um, there's still uh, rain areas and um, uh, across much of the uh, central and southern Kimberley at the moment. Um, and um, uh, and uh, potentially uh, there's a line across uh, that's uh, moving through the Dempier Peninsula as well. There's, so there's lines of showers and rain areas with the system as it moves towards the southeast. Also, this afternoon we'll see thunderstorms develop within that those, the the bending through the rain bends through the system. So uh, potential for damaging winds there as that system moves off to the southeast. So we do see um, the rainfall, the impacts from the rain easing off from the system itself tomorrow. However, because it's dumped enormous amounts of rain into a water into the landscape, the flooding impacts are likely to continue well into next week. So currently we still have a major flood warning uh, for the Fitzroy River and um, just looking at all the warnings, uh, we're expecting um, the the flooding at Willaire to continue increasing and uh, potentially reach a major on Sunday. Um, and then um, its peak is not likely to happen until Monday or Tuesday at this stage. So there's enormous volumes of water move, moving down the river. So currently, major flood warning for the Fitzroy River. There's also a general flood warning for the West Kimberley District. There's still showers and thunderstorms expected through that area, so that will uh, continue to happen. Okay. The flood watch, yeah, the flood watch for the Sandy Desert, Tanamite Desert, and Western Desert is for the area as it moves through the north interior and the far northeastern parts of the south interior over the next 12 to 18 hours. So we are still expecting sort of rainfall in the 50 to 100 millimeter range, um, potentially getting up to 120 millimeters as that system moves through the interior of the state. So that's likely to cause some flash flooding. Um, not going to see the same river rises, obviously, as we've seen through the southern Kimberley, but that risk is still there, hence the flood watch. Okay. So a little bit of reprieve on the horizon, but still plenty of falls to come uh, in the Kimberley. Moving now to the rest of the north and then the eastern and interior forecast districts, what's the picture this afternoon and what are the next few days looking like across, across those regions? Yes, we've seen rather hot days across the Pilbara and the Gascoigne uh, uh, this week, so temperatures have been hitting uh, the low, low to mid 40s through those areas, um, and uh, there has been a heatwave warning uh, for the Gascoigne as well. Uh, so elevated temperatures. Now uh, we do expect a west coast trough to move inland, so that will help bring some respite to the heat. Uh, so, um, so the heatwave warning is. Probably the last for today, we're looking at fairly benign conditions across the Gascoigne and the Pilbara. Um, temperatures will still be uh, uh, sort of in, into the 30s and there will be still patches of uh, low 40s. It's really the overnight temperatures will will, will uh, cool off a little bit. So that'll h- help reduce sort of the impacts from the heat wave. We'll still, still expect a low-intensity heat wave to persist 
passes through that area, uh, but certainly the severe, severe conditions should ease uh, by tomorrow due to that cooler change. Okay, so for pastoralists hoping to get a little bit of that rain out of that system over the Kimberley, it's, it's not looking too promising at this point in terms of rainfall? Not from- not from the Kimberley, no, not through the Western Pilbara or the Gascoigne. Um, however, next week we do have another West Coast draft developing. And, um, yeah, unfortunately it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag, especially through the Gascoigne. Um, we are going to see thunderstorms through that area with the next uh, trough. It's going to be an active West Coast trough. So uh, we're going to see scattered thunderstorm activity. Unfortunately, not much rain with these thunderstorms, so they will tend to be more drier thunderstorms, so there is that risk of lightning, dry lightning from these thunderstorms. Yeah, but not much rainfall, unfortunately. Okay, what's the picture across the southwest land division this afternoon and over the next few days, Angeline? Yes, so with the West Coast trough moving inland today, we are seeing uh, rather hot to very hot temperatures across much of the southwest land division. Um, the trough itself has moved across the West Coast this morning, so it's travelling inland and there is a cooler change behind it. So we'll see those cooler temperatures slowly spread across the western uh, southwest land division uh, for the ne- over the next few hours. There is also a... Um, a weak cold front that's moving in uh, across the southwest. So that's producing a little bit of shower activity, not much, generally just a couple of millimetres and more so around the south coast. Further inland, see a little bit of precipitation, but not much in the rain gauges. So there is some cloud cover across the southwest. Um, now, as that west coast trough moves inland over the next 24 hours, um, a ridge is going to push through from the west. So that is going to bring fairly benign conditions. Uh, across the state. But for today, with those hot to very hot and windy conditions ahead of the West Coast drop, we are looking at elevated fire dangers. So there is a um, a fire weather warning out um, today for extreme fire dangers expected for the Central West, Central Weed Belt, Swan Inland North, Arthur, Roe, Lakes and Stirling North. Now, with that West Coast trough moving inland, well inland tomorrow, we expect the fire dangers to ease off. So still remaining high in some areas, but we're not expecting any warnings out for tomorrow. So benign conditions, better conditions for the Southwest Land Division of the next couple of days. However, from Monday, as I've already mentioned, the West Coast trough is deepening again. And this time, the West Coast trough is going to be active. So there'll be thunderstorm activity, especially over inland parts of the Southwest Land Division. Okay. Now, you've point, pointed out some of the warnings that are in place, but can you just give us a roundup this afternoon of the warnings that we need to be aware of across the state, Angeline? Yes. So across the south, um, the fire weather warning is the most critical. So um, the fire dangers, those elevated fire dangers inland are likely to last into the afternoon period, but they should ease off with that wind change coming. It it is a fairly abrupt wind change, um, uh, but the temperatures are cooler. So uh, if there are fires already in the landscape, that wind change might exacerbate fire weather conditions uh, this afternoon. Um, And there is also that heat wave warning um, that uh, should be be easing off. after today and um, in the north uh, there's the severe weather warning for parts of the Kimberley, North Interior and South Interior District, a major flood warning for the Fitzroy, a flood warning for the West Kimberley and a flood watch for the Sandy, Tanama and Western Deserts. Um, In the marine uh, wind warning we do have large areas of the west coast that are in warning so just strong wind warnings through uh, starting off uh, from uh, the uh, from the Esperance Coast 
all the way up to the Gascoigne and then from uh, the Pilbara all the way up to the uh, North Kimberley coast. Hey, Angeline, thanks so much for that update this afternoon. Thank you. Bye-bye. ABC Radio, fire ban information. Now, due to the risk of the fire, uh, a total fire ban has been issued for today, Friday the 6th of January, for the following local government districts all day. In the Midwest, Gascoigne region, Carnamar, Chapman Valley, Karoo, Dandarigan, Greater Geraldton, Irwin, Minganew, Mora, Morawar, Northampton, Perendry, Three Springs and Victoria Plains. Total fire bans also in place for the Goldfields Midlands region, including Beverly, Bruce Rock, Cunderdon, Dowalanew, Dowran, Gamaling, Kelleberran, Corder, Meriden, Mount Marshall, Mark and Boudin, Narrambeen, Northam, Nungarran, Querading, Taman and Tujay. Training, uh, Wonganballadu, Westonia, Wildcatcham, Yilgarn and York. And in the southwest region, Bunbury, Capel, Collie, Dardanup, Harvey, uh, Murray and Waruna. Uh, in the great southern region today, Boddington, Brookton, Broomhill, Tambalup, Corrigan, Kibaling, Dumbleyung, Nwangarup, Katanning, Kent, Condinan, Coolan, Lake Grace, Narragin, Pingley, Wagen, Wandering, West Arthur, Wickepin and Williams, as well as Wood and Illing. And during a total fire ban, you must not light fires for cooking or camping, carry out hot work such as grinding or welding, or go off-road driving using a four-wheel drive or quad bike, except for agricultural purposes. And you can find out more details about total fire bans on the Emergency WA website. That's emergency.wa.gov.au. And the following Shire has uh, had a harvest and vehicle movement ban implemented, and that's the Shire of Mundaring. And for full details, including zones and the lifting of harvest bans, just contact your local government. So just repeating, there are total fire bans in place in the Midwest, Gascoigne, Outer Perth, Metro, Goldfields, Midlands, Great Southern and Southwest for today, Friday the 6th of January. So just head on over to Emergency WA for more information. And it's time to take a look at the rainfall totals for the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock. All the moisture is in the Kimberley, as you might expect, and because of the extensive list, I'll just read out the totals above 10 mils today. Anna Plains has received 3,617 for Broome Airport, 25 at Camballon. Country Downs, 63. Curtin Aero, 24. Dampier Downs Airstrip, 54. Uh, Debessa, 24. Kimberley Downs, 13 mils there. Kingston Rest, 15. 17 for Kununurra Aero and uh, 21 for Kununurra Deepird. Lake Argyle Resort, 27 mils there. 10 for Mount Barnett. Theta, 11 mils. Udiala, 46. And Yampi Sound, 28. Nothing across the Pilbara, Gascoigne, Interior, Goldfields, Eucla, all the islands and no falls across the entire Southwest Land Division. And as you've just heard, the West Kimberley has been sitting underneath ex-tropical cyclone Ellie for the past 24 hours, copying the brunt of that weather. David Stoat runs Anaplane Station about 250 kilometres south of Broome. And so far, he says he's avoided any serious damage. We've had about 230 mils over the last five or six days, so it's certainly got heavy over a few days, but it's stopped now, so that uh, we might be close to the end of it. Okay. So have you had any damage there at all or stock losses uh, that you know of? 
No, not that we know of. I don't think so. I mean, it's it's probably a good amount of rain for us, uh, unlike friends in the, around Fitzroy Crossing. So it, it's been difficult to get around the station. But yeah, we're not anticipating any any losses or anything like that at, at this stage. What are things looking like there? Is it pretty pretty wet? A lot of uh, sort of flooded areas. Yeah. Look, it, it's. I mean, fortunately, we hadn't had any. Um, rain before this rainfall event really so it was pretty dry so the ground's been able to soak it up in contrast to you know the central Kimberley well there's definitely puddles around but you know a lot of the water's been able to go into the soil which was previously dry so you know that's been the the good thing for us here in you know south of Broome. And so you're cut off you're stuck in on the station at the moment? Well, we can get out to the highway, but I'm not sure we can go anywhere once we get to the highway. I mean, we have got the opportunity to go to south to Port Hedland if we needed to, but Broome's our normal port of call. So if that's shut off by the Roebuck Flat there, um, we, you know, we can't really go anywhere much. Do you think you've missed the, the worst of this or have you still got concerns that this could get worse over in the West Kimberley? Uh, well, it's still, you know, it's obviously very early in the wet season, you know, early January, so there's still plenty of scope for, you know, cyclones and other large rainfall events. So, I mean, we don't really need a, a big one of them, just sort of showers every now and again to keep us going, really. That's probably the big concern for, for everyone, really, that it's only January and there's still plenty of scope for more big rainfall events. Mm. Have you ever seen anything like this big rainfall event? Oh, yeah, look, we certainly have here and our planes. You know, we had a cyclone go straight over the top of us uh, in 2018. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon to get, you know, rainfall of this magnitude at this time of year when it's nothing like they've had around Fitzroy Crossing, fortunately for us. But it's, you know, the wet season, so you can get cyclones and and big rainfall events. Mm. Have you been in touch to any other pastoralists in the sort of central Kimberley? And if you have, how how's everyone going? Uh, no, I haven't really. I mean, I've certainly been following it on social media and in the mainstream media. So, yeah, I mean, just sort of thinking of everyone and hope, hopefully they can come out of the other side of this okay. Yeah, absolutely. David Stote from Annapline Station speaking with Steph Sinclair. So, about 230 mils over the last five to six days at that property south of Broome. Luckily, it has now stopped at his place, although other parts not so lucky so far in terms of damage and those flooding rains. And to the south in the Pilbara, pastoralists are hoping that Kimberley rain will ease and make its way south further down the state. Michael Percy runs Yaleen Station near Panawanica, about 200 kilometres south of Caratha. And he says, well, things are looking good on his property for this time of year. Some of this rain would definitely be welcome further south. Well, it's finally warmed up. It's been a very cool start to summer. We're kind of looking forward to a bit of rain happening, hopefully, and when it likes to start. You know, we're in pretty good shape as far as the country and the cattle go for this time of year because of the, you know, season we had last year with that big May rain. Yeah, I mean, that was an extremely good rain. Just the way it fell over about three weeks and, you know, really sort of hydrated the country and that time of year when it's cooler, you know, it doesn't dry off. It takes weeks and months to dry out, so it means that it all lasts so much longer. But, you know, it's the time of year where we definitely look for rain and hopefully we, we're looking for a summer season. Wait and see and hope it starts soon. There's a huge amount of rain being dropped up in the Kimberley at the moment. Are you hoping that, you know, some of that rain eases up there and, and comes down to the Pilbara? 
Yeah, well, I think we've been watching that system for a fair while and, um, you know, there's been some sort of chance of it sort of moving on down this way, but it seems to, yeah, it doesn't seem to be moving much at all. I think up there they probably would have rather it moved through there a little quicker too and gave a decent amount of rain without flooding and kept on coming down this way. But, um, yeah, I mean, very good system, but hasn't been moving, so it's been dropping those enormous rains, hasn't it? Yeah, how do you think that must feel for those the pastoralists and the cattle up there? You know, it's a pretty ordinary at the time. I mean, we've been through a similar, or, you know, exactly the same type of thing. You know, we've had a major flood with a very slow-moving cyclone that went over us in, with Cyclone Monty and um, gives you the rain you're after, but it creates a whole lot of work you don't want don't think you really need and a whole lot of extra expense and potential stock losses is um, always a major concern as well. Michael Percy from Yalane Station, about 200 kilometres south of Caratha. He was speaking with Amelia Searson. Uh, this afternoon you've been hearing about the government's flood response to this crisis in the Kimberley. Um, there's some relaxed rules in place for truckies who can now take bigger loads via the south. Um, there's also some funding packages being worked on for pastoralists who have lost livestock. Rob from Bustleton has texted in to say, Transport Minister and Premier of WA, instead of sitting back and being reactive... Act on this northern flood crisis now. Get on to this urgently and assisting with freight subsidies and other requirements as needed moving forward. Rob says this is an absolute crisis. Do you agree? Let me know on the text. You can be part of the conversation. 0448 The WA Country Hour on ABC Radio WA. Now, cattle prices have taken a dive since the peaks of mid-2022 and producers are certainly feeling the pinch. Live export challenges, domestic oversupply and a lack of eastern buyers are believed to be causing the price drop. Paul Riley is a farmer from Boyup Brook, about 200 kilometres northwest of Albany, and he says while prices are still historically high, margins are really being affected. Well, it certainly peaked a fair bit to an all-time high last winter where as for grain-fed cattle, we were receiving over the $10 a kilo mark, which, yeah, that was uncharted territories. But since then, it's probably declined by March or March, April. I'd say it'll be back a dollar to a dollar forty a kilo from where it was. How significant of a depreciation is that? On our own calves, that's equivalent to yeah, $350 a head, really, from what we were getting for them in July last year. So how much will these prices impact your operation? Short term, it's a bit annoying because we've got cattle that we purchased in October and November and they're set to come off grain through March and April, a lot of them. And, yeah, there won't be the margins on them, as which we hoped, but the, certainly the cattle we're buying now at the new current prices will be able to maintain a profit on them going through into the winter months. So what's causing this price drop? Seems to be a real tsunami of a lot of... Things. It's the perfect storm at the moment. But I guess in the past, in November, December, January, we've always seemed to put a lot of cattle on ships and uh, the bull market's non-existent at the moment and, and lightweight calves to Middle East is not really happening. And I think the heavy south of the southwest has always been China and Vietnam cattle going away, but they're not moving either. Probably for the last five or six years, cattle have been going east. There's been plenty of cattle going that way in these three months and they're not going. So, yeah, it's just local craziers and feedlotters trying to buy a lot of cattle. And how much does uh, situations in eastern states impact the price? 
A lot. Yeah, it seems whatever happens over east flows back and hits us pretty quick. So what is happening over east? Oh, I don't know too much, but I know they're not buying a lot of wieners, which is causing an oversupply here. But they're also sending boxed beef back over here and a lot more than normal. Uh, one of our suppliers that we supply um, grain-fed product to, they're struggling to sell their own product because what they can buy for their food service business is all coming cheaper from east and they can buy that boxed at a lot cheaper rate than what they'd kill their own cattle for. The prices that we are looking at now, how do they stack up historically? Still high, like a lot of the growers that we buy our cattle off are still more than happy with their prices. Like I think last year they were yeah, just a bit mind-blowing really as to where the markets were and getting 2000 to $2,300 for cattle. But now they're back getting sixteen to 1800 I think they're still fairly happy, but you've got to look at what the input costs are and fertilisers and freight and everything else that we seem to buy every day of the week. Everything's so much more, so I don't think our margins will be too much better for growing cattle. Boy, our brook cattle producer Paul Riley speaking with Sophie Johnson. Now, speaking of cattle, would you feed your livestock hemp seeds? Well, a Harvey-based company has developed a hemp seed meal for horses and is looking at expanding that market to other animals. Greg Legia is one of the directors for the company and he says the product is safe for consumption and can bring great health benefits too. You know, it's one of the oldest plants in mankind. That, you know, hemp's been grown for many, many years, but often it's confused. What we're growing is low to no THC hemp. It's often confused, obviously, with cannabis or, or mar- marijuana or hemp that's been grown uh, medicinally under, under licence. And speaking back onto the animal mm-hmm. products that we have here, how does this differ to just normal livestock feed that we see? Why, why would a farmer choose to go down this route? It's a bit niche. Yes, it is. It's concentrated high-protein and it's got the right balance of omega-3, 6 and 9 in terms of fatty acids. So that's quite unique from a plant property point of view, which you don't get out of other feed stocks. But what is, what is actually happening in the early interest that we are now having is that the feed stockers and those that are doing blending are adding the hemp product in as part of the blend to achieve the balance in terms of the, the 3, 6 and 9. Are great anti-inflammatory properties, which are natural and really good for skin health and gut health as well for the, for the animals. So yes, there's a huge opportunity as we go forward. Uh, we can see that we can supply from anything from very small quantities at the, the retail level to very large quantities, bulk level uh, wholesale. And where do you see this sort of space moving towards in the future? There's no doubt there's huge opportunity growth. There's also a huge opportunity for many players. It's not another market that needs to be dominated by any one particular player. There's plenty of space in this market. And in fact, it, it all starts with the farmers. We need farmers to grow this crop in order to obviously have a yield of seed, then take through the processing, then we can value add it in terms of whether we direct it into human consumption or in fact into uh, livestock, livestock feed. 
Harvey Hemp director Greg Laguerre speaking with Sophie Johnson, feeding hemp to horses, but now looking at the possible benefits for livestock. Eight minutes to one on the country hour. Um, no wool sales this week. Soon you're going to be catching up with Tracy Kilner, who's been at the Mount Barker sales today and yesterday. A double header coming up for you. Uh, but first, have you seen the new lamb ad yet? Um, this year, the annual campaign funded by Meat and Livestock Australia's producer Levy, Levy shows ordinary people being dis- disappeared to a desert wasteland for any offences deemed un-Australian. Let me know what you think. What are you here for? Tried to eat a meat pie with these. Don't know the words to K-San. Charged him a dollar for tomato sauce. <coughs> what is this? Where am I? Man, <coughs> how's that un-Australian? All I said was... Bon appetit! Beautiful day. Lamb. Doesn't get any better than this. I'm uh, Graeme Yardy and I'm the domestic market manager for Meat and Livestock Australia. The idea behind the ad really is, you know, lamb, it's such a fantastic meat. It's the only meat that really brings people together. And we know that, you know, obviously the aroma and the taste and it's hard to resist the smell of lamb when it's cooking in a house. And we know that it's such a great sharing thing. It really does bring people together. And every year we, we look for something topical, but we also think about, well, what are the things that are keeping people apart and what can lamb do? to um, to help, I guess, uh, break down those barriers. And this year we, we focused on this idea about calling things un-Australian. And, and what we found out was really it's got, it, it's really out of hand. You know, we've obviously seen it used in politics. We've seen it used in general parlance, but we've really seen how calling something un-Australian sort of is, is actually quite divisive and tries to separate us and for some way sort of say we're not worthy of the term Australian. And so I think we decided to poke fun at the ridiculousness of, of calling it and really work out that we're actually all doing things that someone could call out un-Australian. And we also found out that actually a lot of people have been called un-Australian for things they're doing. There's been a number of challenges for livestock producers in Australia and lamb producers with flooding and, and weather conditions. But you know, at the same time, lamb prices went up quite a lot last year too and have been hearing from consumers that are choosing uh, other types of meat just with the cost of living rising. How much do you think this ad campaign might help to get more people to choose lamb? Without a doubt, we're all feeling those pressures in all aspects of our lives these days. But, you know, I think where this ad comes to play is that we always set out to really remind people about why lamb is so great. And we have the best product in the world. It's, you know, amazingly produced in some of the, the best country in the, in the world. And, and that quality really comes through and it's something that our lamb producers are, are really proud of and should be as well. Meat and Livestock Australia's domestic market manager, Graham Yardy. So what do people in the industry think about the lamb ad? Pastoralist David Farley from Narracourt in South Australia says the ads usually catch his attention. I'm probably not very social media savvy. I'm a bit unusual for a 44-year-old farmer. I'm probably not on any social media and things like that. So when I've got some spare time, I'll probably just go onto the MLA website. If I'm looking at some livestock prices, I'll just sort of see it there and go on it from there. He says prices for quality lamb have remained strong in the last six months. The demand for, I think the lamb seems to be very good and good quality lamb is really about quality, seems to sell very much and that's sort of the the end that we're sort of aimed at and that we sort of sell to some sort of more specialised markets.
and those markets don't seem to be affected much at all, whereas more of our older sheep seem to be more affected, like any, any cull sheep and things like that, the markets really come right back. Pastoralist David Farley ending that report from Eliza Balage uh, with additional reporting from Elsie Adamo. And you can see this year's MLA lamb ad, which pokes fun at un-Australianisms on the ABC Rural website. What do you think? Is it as good as last year? Do you enjoy the controversy that it brings? Or do you reckon that it translates into increased sales? You can let me know on the text 0448 And as I mentioned earlier, no wool sales this week. Anywhere in the country, the first wool sale will take place next week. So you're off to Mount Barker now where there was a double header cattle sale this week. Yesterday's weaner sales saw 1,749 head yarded, while 214 were yarded at today's trade sale. Tracy Kilner was there. Tracy, let's start with yesterday's weaner sale. A total yarding of 1,749 head of good quality calves were presented for our first weaner sale of the year. Heavyweight calves dominated the yarding with over 500 steer calves weighing over 380 kilos. Prices trended down with the numbers on offer. Steers over 380 kilos sold to a top of 436 cents and lightweights to 500 cents a kilo. The extra heavyweight heifers sold to 388 cents, while Angus heifers to restockers made up to 458 cents a kilo, and lightweight sappy calves sold to 535 cents a kilo. Weaner steers weighing over 380 kilos returned 320 to 436 cents. Steers weighing between 330 and 380 kilos made from 390 to 458 cents. Lighter steers weighing 280 to 330 kilos sold from 406 to 460 cents and weights under 280 kilos returned 450 to 500 cents a kilo. Weaner heifers weighing over 380 kilos sold from 300 to 388 cents and weights from 330 to 380 kilos made 300 to 458 cents a kilo. Lighter weights between 280 to 330 kilos sold for 300 to 430 cents and weights under 280 kilos returned 376 to 535 cents a kilo. Today's trade sale, um, the adding was dominated by good quality heavy cows which sold to 228 cents followed by a good selection of trade weight steers topping at 390 cents and heifers at 290 cents a kilo. Grown steers weighing 500 to 600 kilos sold for 280 to 300 cents. The lighter weights made 390 cents to processors and from 330 to 352 cents to feeder buyers. Grown heifers weighing under 540 kilos sold from 258 to 290 cents depending on quality, while the heavier weight heifers made 278 to 282 cents a kilo. Heavy cows sold from 200 to 228 cents and stock cows returned 100 to 190 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks so much for that, Tracy. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for the world today. Ukraine rejects a 36-hour truce ordered by Russia, calling it a propaganda gesture. You'll hear from an expert on President Vladimir Putin's tactics. We'll bring you the latest on the floods in WA's Kimberley region, where some remote communities are cut off by rising floodwaters. And doctors call on the TGA to crack down on access to vapes amid health concerns. Those stories and more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. Well, that's it from me for another week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great weekend.